we've had some uh, really some good good years together in ministry. In my opinion, uh, Wayne is almost without peer in the world in terms of uh, junior high shepherding. I say almost because we have two other youth workers in uh, on our staff that I feel are uh, are just doing a wonderful job, but. Uh, Wayne is one of the best team builders uh, I have ever seen. He relates better to junior high kids than anyone I've ever been around. I heard uh, uh, an outstanding Christian ed- educator some years ago say, uh, the only thing you can do for junior high kids is feed them and keep them happy. And uh, Wayne has proven that that is not true. You can feed them with the word, you can disciple them, and you can cause them to uh, grow. Uh, as as Steve pointed out, Wayne's going over to Squim to work uh, with a, a dear friend of mine, Neil Smith. Uh, many of you know him. He was our speaker at uh, at uh, the family conference two years ago. Uh, one of my first interns in my university ministry, and then went on to seminary and and to Squim to pastor uh, Dungeness Community Church there. Neil will be working with him and also with Scott Culver, who was another of my interns during the years I was working with uh, students. And so he'll be linking up with uh, really a part of us, uh, two men that I love very dearly and have worked with very, uh, very closely. Uh, You know, we always hate to see these people go, but uh, we have to give God the right to deploy his men and women where he chooses. Wayne and Risa don't belong to us. They belong to the Lord. And we learned a long time ago that we have to give ourselves away in order to find ourselves. We can't cling to our own uh, people. No, they're not ours to cling to. They belong to the Lord. And uh, we simply have to uh, have to let them go. Now, I would like to uh, have you turn with me to 1 Timothy 3, or 4, excuse me. And I would like to begin reading with verse 6. In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. But have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance, for it is for this we labor and strive, because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of believers. Prescribe and teach these things. Let no one look down on your youth but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attendance to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you which was bestowed upon you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with all these things. Be absorbed in them so that your progress may be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. 
I heard a story some years ago uh, about a man who went into a hospital to uh, minister to a sick friend. He had had a, a mild heart attack and was re- recovering nicely, and this man wanted to uh, encourage him on. Walked into the uh, into the hospital room and found his friend fast asleep with an oxygen mask clamped on his face, and uh, he shook him gently and woke him up and began to chat with him, and he happened to be one of these very garrulous uh, people who... Uh, uh, tend to talk too much in, in circumstances like that. and But his friend uh, waited patiently. But, but then he, he noticed that uh, his sick friend began to struggle and, and gasp for breath, and he was having a very hard time and thrashed around in the bed. And finally the man reached up and jerked his oxygen mask off his face and said, George, get your foot off the hose. I sometimes feel that way you know, when I make a hospital call or I, I go to try to help someone. I, I think I'm ministering comfort to them and I'm uttering words, but I've got my foot on the hose. I'm not really uh, helping helping them that much. So the question I want us to address this morning is how can we help people, and specifically how can we help people on to godliness? It's the goal for all of us. The purpose of life and ministry is to know God and and to make him known. It's just that simple. And how can we make him known in such a way that that people grasp these great life-changing truths about our Lord Jesus and begin to embrace them and and act upon them? That's our that's our purpose in life. If we failed in that purpose, then we fail to live life in the way in which God intends us to live it. The last week we talked about the secret of godliness, what Paul calls the mystery of religion. Religion being the outward human response to all that God has done. And, and I described that process under the title, The Secret of Spirituality. How do you develop intimacy with God? And uh, following Paul's argument pointed out that uh, the way to become a spiritual person is to center upon Christ, to love Him, to devote yourself to Him. And I quoted uh, Mother Teresa's uh, words to Henry now. And when Henry... When, 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 uh, Father Nowen came to, uh, to Mother Teresa and asked how he could draw near to God, she said, Henry, uh, spend one hour a day in devotion to Christ and you'll be alright. And I pointed out that that, that period of time is not, uh, anything that we have, that, that's absolute, but we need to be spending time on a daily basis looking into the face of Jesus. Getting to know Him. Uh, Jesus described the process as abiding, living with, walking with, enjoying uh, our, our Lord Jesus. That clearly is the uh, secret of, of godliness. That's, that's how we're changed. As Paul puts it, from one degree of likeness to another. He says, we... All with unveiled face, that is, no sham, no pretense, no hypocrisy, with a heart that's open before God. We all with open face, beholding as in a glass, uh, the old translation put it, it's actually a lengthy translation of one word that means to scrutinize your face in a mirror. That's what, uh, that's what you do in the morning when you, women, Make up your face. That's what we men do when we shave and comb our hair and and, uh, get ourselves ready for the day. We scrutinize our face in the mirror. 
And uh, Paul uses that analogy. He says, that's the way you grow. You look at the face of, of Jesus with the same intense gaze that you give yourself uh, when you look into a glass. And that's the way we are changed, Paul says, from glory to glory. God's ultimate process, uh, purpose is to glorify us, to make us like our glorious Lord Jesus. But the process is going on now. The beginning process of glorification, we go from one degree of likeness to Christ to the next as we, as we gaze into the face uh, of Christ. Some years ago, uh, David and Claudia and Carolyn and I went to a community concert, and there was a, a, a young woman there who just sang beautifully. She wasn't much to look at, uh, not very attractive at all, but she had a wonderful voice. And as we were walking out, Claudia said, hearing someone like that sing make, uh, makes me want to sing like that. And I thought when I heard that, that's the process by which God changes us. Just being with the Lord, listening to His words, sitting at His feet, rubbing shoulders with Him, begins to change us. We begin, we want to be like Him. That's not a passive process. I understand last week there was some discussion afterward uh, about uh, the process, whether we simply let go and let God, or whether we pursue hard after God. It's one of those anomalies, one of those paradoxes. It's very difficult to express in words. But yes, we have to choose righteousness. We have to long for it. We have to want it with all of our heart. We have to pursue after God. But it's God who's at work in us, both to will and to do of His good pleasure. And if there's any long-term change, any lasting, enduring change, it has to come from the one who is the only real change agent in the world. And that's God uh, himself. I uh, uh, This morning, Carolyn brought in a paper that our son, Brian, sent her a little letter. He sent her uh, some years ago. It must have been seven or eight years ago. He had just graduated from college, and he was looking for a job. And that was a difficult process for him. He was without a job for a long period of time. And he sent her this note with a quotation from Greg Luganus. You probably uh, have heard most recently about Greg Luganus, but back then he was a uh, uh, Olympic diver, gold medal winner, Olympic diver. And this is this is what the note says. Mom, it says, this quote is from the Olympic diving gold medalist. Greg Luganus. Here's the quote. I was scared going into it. He was talking about the Olympics, the, the final dives of the Olympics. I was scared going into it. I thought no matter what I do, my mother will still love me. That gives you inner strength. And at the bottom, he says, I think it can relate to finding a job or about anything else. And uh, that's one of those uh, really important uh, uh Missiles you get from your children from time to time that let that let you know that they appreciate you. The thing that struck me is that what sustained Brian during this uh, difficult time was his mother's love, and of course the corollary spiritually is what sustains us is God's love. So it motivates us, what keeps us going, what makes us uh, want to try again to know that that we are forgiven. Brendan Manning says Jesus. Is so unbearably forgiving, so infinitely patient, so unendingly loving. 
He provides the power we need to live lives of gracious response. Someone has described Christianity as a grace-laden ministry. A grace-laden mystery, rather. Underlying everything is this wonderful, loving grace of God. He loves us. He wants us to love Him. That's what Christianity is all about. Centering on Christ, longing for Him, expressing our, our love for Him is what uh, is, is what is the key, is the secret to spirituality. Now, uh, Paul goes on to say we need to avoid the add-ons. There's always the, uh, uh, there are always those that read the Bible and make up rules rather than reading the Bible and, and centering upon uh, Christ. Rules, rituals, regulations, vetoes, shoulds, oughts, don'ts, those, those are what take the, the joy out of Christian living. Certainly, uh, there is a moral law expressed in Scripture. Certainly, following Jesus Christ means obedience to Him. But uh, you don't read the Bible to make up rules. You read the Bible to look in, into the face of, of Jesus. Years ago, when I graduated from high school, my parents gave me a trip to Mexico as a graduation present. And uh, we went down to Cuernavaca. And I was standing in the courtyard. Uh, there's a very large Catholic church on one end of the uh, plaza, if you've ever been there. And this uh, uh, plaza with great stone slabs. And I saw an elderly woman on her hands and knees crawling across that plaza and up the steps into that into that uh, cathedral. And I thought at the time, you know, if I could just, I didn't know a great deal. I've been a Christian all that long, but I thought at that time if I could just lift her up and say, you don't have to do that. That's not what God wants. Uh, that's not the way we please God. That, as a matter of fact, is what God does not want you to do. What He wants you to do is simply accept the grace that, that has been given uh, to you. And as I pointed out last week, the add-ons really come from, uh, come from the evil one. It's a doctrine of demons to add rules and regulations onto Christianity. It is Christ alone. That was the issue on which the Reformation was founded. Faith alone. Sola fide, Luther said. It's Christ and Christ alone. Nothing added to it. The church settled that issue in 51 A.D. when they convened a, a large council in Jerusalem. And the apostles were there and the elders in Jerusalem and, and Paul and Peter and they... They argued uh, this whole issue. So some people had come into the church and said, well, you, you have to be circumcised to be saved. Yes, Jesus is, is all right, but there, here's a little add-on. Just one little thing, you have to be circumcised. And Peter and Paul went to the wall. They simply would not put up with that because the secret of God-likeness is not circumcision in Jesus. It's, it's Jesus alone. Uh, Again, Manning says, No greater sinners exist than those who disfigure the face of God, who mutilate the gospel of grace, who intimidate others through fear. These, these are the ones of whom Paul says, Let them be damned. Because uh, this is a teaching that comes right out of the, out of the pit. Now, uh, that's how we uh, grow in grace. That's how we become spiritual, by centering on Christ. Now the question is, how do we help others? If we uh, want to have influence and effect uh, uh, upon our friends, how do we do that? 
spiritual power is basically a matter of influence. That's what leadership and power is. It's influencing others. So the question is, how do we go about touching others' lives significantly? No one wants to waste his or her life. They just drift through life without uh, really doing anything significant. So the question is, how can I make my life count? Well, this is what Paul is concerned with in the passage which uh, which I just uh, just read. Now, Paul uh, addresses Timothy directly here, you'll notice, in verse 6. This is his pattern in this book to speak with reference to the needs of the church and then to speak directly to Timothy. In pointing out these things to the brethren, he says, you'll be a good servant of Christ Jesus. This is a a direct admonition to his young friend, Timothy, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you've been following, but have nothing to do with worldly fables. That's these uh, add-ons, the myths that do not form part of the uh, of the revelation, fit only for old women. Now, that's a bad translation. It's actually a sexist translation. The, uh, the uh, text simply says, silly old myths, and for some strange reason the translators have... Uh, have translated fit only for old women. This means frivolous, silly, trivial, ridiculous uh, arguments. On the other hand, discipline yourself, he says, uh, for the purpose of, of godliness. Now, this is a word to Timothy, who was a leader in the church, uh, pointed out in the introduction to this book. We're not quite sure what Timothy was. He was not a pastor in the traditional sense of the word. He was rather an apostolic delegate who had responsibility for a number of smaller house churches in, in the, the city of Ephesus. So he was a leader. So they, you read a passage like this, and you say, well, what does it say to me? I'm not a leader. I don't have a large group that I'm responsible for. But every one of us has someone that we can influence. Maybe your spouse, maybe your children, maybe a colleague, and maybe a student that you work with, or a professor. Maybe uh, someone who works alongside you at your workbench. Every one of us has someone that we can influence toward God. So the question is, how do we do it? The principles obtained, whether we're talking about leadership of large groups or leadership that finds its expression in, in one individual. And surprisingly enough, What Paul says to Timothy is the place to start is with yourself. See, I argues, disciple yourself. Before you can disciple anyone else, you have to disciple yourself. You have to nourish yourself on the Word, and you have to exercise yourself toward godliness. The two things we need for natural life is food and exercise, and these are the two things that that Paul uh, enjoins on Timothy. Food and and exercise. Your diet, he says, is the Word of God. A lot of us these days are working on our diet. I had a long conversation with my cardiologist not too long ago. My cholesterol count was high. So he told me you got to cut out the fat. You know, you can't eat butter anymore. And you can't eat ice cream and all the good stuff. You know, if you enjoyed all your life, that's got to go. you got to eat potatoes without anything on them. And It's good for me, say. He tells me. It makes me wonder if I want to live that long. But, <clears throat> but he's right. You know, we got to watch your diet. Cut out the junk food. Our, our, our secretaries always keep bottles of candy on their desks, and the, the 
this is this terrible temptation every time I walk through to grab one of them. But if we're going to be healthy, we've got to invo- we've got to avoid that stuff. And Paul's saying the same thing about about cultivating our own spiritual life. If you're going to mount anything, if you're going to have impact upon others, if your life's going to be worthwhile, you've got to cut out the junk food. So concentrate on on nourishing our own souls uh, through the Word of God. Uh, it's not enough to merely come to church and hear the Word taught. It's not enough to just sit in a small group and hear the Word taught. Not enough to read books about the Bible. So we all need to be nourishing ourselves at the source, spending time on a daily basis looking into the Word, reading prayerfully, reading meditatively, reading in such a way that that the truth begins to soak into our into our hearts. Something that all of us need to be doing, not just your teachers, not just just your growth group leaders. It's something for all of us. Uh, Jackson just got back from uh, Israel not too long ago, and he can corroborate this. There's, there's a wonderful little little spring on the west side of the Dead Sea called Ein Feshka, Spring of Feshka. And uh, the water up there is sweet, pure. But as it flows down the, the wadi, it picks up sediment, and, and uh, by the time it gets to the salt sea, it's undrinkable. You have to go to the source. That's what we have to do. Uh, everybody, to some extent, contaminates the Word. I do. I I'm, I'm inclined to inject my own ideas into it. So what you must do, what I must do, is continue to drink deeply of the source. Go back to the, the spring from which it, the truth flows, and that's, that's the word uh, itself. Our elders here at, at Cole Church are, are committed to a leadership that grows out of nourishing ourselves on the word. We just finished... Uh, I think one of our best elders uh, retreats, we've been working on a, a plan, five-year uh, plan for the church and setting up certain parameters that we feel are really important for this this uh, body. It's a vision statement that we'll be talking more about later on. But it struck me again that Friday night when we gathered, the first thing we did was to look into the Word. Hardin Young led us through uh, just a wonderful study in Nehemiah and and all through that, uh, the next day, as we discussed uh, where we thought God might be leading us as a church, I heard one man after another go back to Hardin's instruction and what he said about the Word. And it, it, uh, it just felt good to know that we had that source from which we could, we could draw. We didn't have a lot, we didn't have any how-to books as helpful as, though, as they can be. We went back to the book that really tells us how to do things God's way. That's what we all have got to be doing. We've got to be investing our time in the Word. Second thing, Paul says, is you've got to exercise yourself, train yourself, exercise yourself to be, to be godly. In other words, uh, put the Word into your life. Begin to reflect the reality, the truth. Now, Timothy probably pumped iron like all young men are inclined to do. He lived in a world where that was even more important than it is today. Can you believe that? Uh, and, and a lot of you men and women are spending a lot of time 
on your bodies, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I, believe it or not, I used to lift weights. I did so for years and years and years. I had this goal in college to press my weight, and look what good it's done for me. You know? uh, I find it hard to press my pants these days. So. <laughs> but that's all right, eh? because that, that sort of thing, it, it has some profit for this, for this age. It's okay. But Paul says it's far more profitable to invest yourself in godliness because it has promise for this age and of that which is to come. And believe me, as you get older, and you know what I'm talking about, as the physical begins to fade, you appreciate more and more the fact that the inner person is being renewed day by day. But Paul is saying invest yourself in things that really matter and, and the best thing is to exercise yourself toward godliness. Now that does require effort. You'll notice how he, he puts it. it. Involves some stress and, and some strain. Uh, he says later, uh, take pains with these things. In verse 10 he says, we labor and strive for these things. It takes effort. Again, this is not a passive uh, enterprise. It requires work. But you'll notice that, again, he balances the fact of our own effort with the fact of uh, of God's grace. Look at verse 10. It's for this we labor and strive. For what? Well, for godliness, from verse 8. It is for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of all believers. We can work out our salvation because it's God who's at work in us, both the will and to do of His his good pleasure. He is the living God, and we fix fix our hope uh, in Him. Now Paul goes on to say, "Let no one look down on your youth." Timothy was a young man in a culture that venerated age. Uh, wisdom was equated with with age, and here's a young man who has the responsibility of of leading others. Listen to what Paul says. Your youth is not a problem. Your immaturity may be, but youth is not a problem. Okay. Uh, Jeremiah cries out, I'm just a child. God says, don't say you're just a child. I put my words in your mouth. Whatever I tell you to say, say it. Okay. You don't need to worry about being young. The real problem is our maturity. Are we investing ourselves in the Word and in godliness? And notice what Paul says. Don't let anyone despise your youth. He uses the word that means give you the runaround. Don't let anybody run around you. Don't let any, anyone trivialize your ministry. Well, how do you do that? Well, you can't do it by demanding that people take you seriously. How do you do it? Paul says, well, uh, here's how. Don't let anyone... Despise your youth, but be an example of the believer. In word, that's what you say. Okay? Scripture in another place said, says, let, let, let your words always be seasoned with salt. Uh, in other words, let it have that catalytic effect that it starts other people thinking. It influences their minds. They can't forget you. Can't can't get what you say off your minds. It'll be an example in word, in life. It's the way you live your life, living out the truth. In love, loving people. Uh, 
so 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 you don't have the uh, years of experience that older people have. You can love them. And and faith here, I think he means faithfulness, just continuing to plug away at doing what God has uh, has told you to do. Purity, moral purity, he's talking about here, dealing with sexual fantasies, staying away from pornography, from things that clutter up your mind, keeping your hands, if you're a young man, keeping your hands off women, treating them with respect and honor, uh, loving them purely. As Paul says uh, in another place to Timothy, treating them like sisters, relate to them the way you would you would relate to the to your sister in, in your family. So what is it that gives young men impact and young women impact? Well, it's uh, their words, it's their life, it's their walk with God, it's the purity of their souls. Those are the things that make people sit up and, and take notice. It has nothing to do with your office, it has nothing to do with your personality, it has nothing to do with your education, it has nothing to do with your experience or background. It's your character. That's what we always look for in, in staff people and leaders, others here. First and foremost is character. What do they like? Because what we are is what we communicate. Conversely, bad character disqualifies people. So uh, that's the first thing he says. Take care of yourself. Take heed to yourself. Nourish your own soul on the Word. Disciple yourself, they say, and grow in, in godliness. Now, uh, as Brendan Manning says, we all shuffle along on, on feet of clay. Uh, we all struggle. We all fail. We all sin. But uh, the issue is always, how do we deal with our sin? When we fall, we have not fallen out of God's uh, favor. Uh, if we judge that sin, we pick ourselves up and uh, move on. God grants grace to continue. Luther said, this life is not godliness but the process of becoming godly. Not health, but the process of becoming healthy. Not being, but becoming. Not rest, but exercise. The process is not yet finished, but it is actually going on. This is not the goal, but it is the right road. At the present time, everything does not gleam and sparkle, but everything is being cleansed. So that's the first step. Disciple yourself. Then, begin to disciple others by doing what? Well, by living out the life, there's something so winsome and attractive about somebody that is authentically Christian. They have the real thing. So Peter says, live in such a way that people will ask you a reason for the hope that is within you. You hang out with people that that have admirable traits and you want to be like them. See? And that's when we need to explain where where those traits come from, what the source is. So we not only live out the truth among others, we impart it. Paul says, until I come. It's reminiscent of Jesus' words. Occupy yourself until I come. Until I come, uh, impart the truth. Uh, Paul says, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you which was bestowed upon you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Timothy's gift was teaching. You may not even have a formal teaching gift, but uh, the same principle holds true. You can impart the truth that God has given uh, to you. E. Stanley Jones, 
describes the what he calls the converted life, the changed life as a result of Christ coming into our life this way. He says, read the Word of God daily, pray in private, and pass on to others what you have found. It's very simple. Read the Word of God daily, pray in private, and pass on to others what you found. What God is teaching you, teach to others. That, that's, those are the most powerful truths anyway, the ones that we ourselves are beginning to grasp. As God teaches you new things, give them uh, away. Carolyn and I recently were having dinner with a young couple, and he was a man who was terribly weary and discouraged. And As we were talking, the story popped into my mind, and I, I, I said, have you ever read the story of Elijah in the Old Testament and how he after his great victory on Mount Carmel, was so enervated that that he, he he ran away from Jezebel, ended up out in the desert, 25 miles into the desert, dropped weary under a broom tree and just gave up. He said, Lord, I, I want to die, take my life. And I said, remember what the Lord did? And his eyes uh, brimmed with tears. And of course, what the Lord did is he put him to sleep and he fed him. And then he woke him up, and he fed him again, and then he put him back to sleep. And I didn't even have to make the point. The point was was made by the man himself that, that his weariness was a result of physical uh, debilitation. He was just worn out, and he was making something spiritual out of it. See, well, that, that wasn't anything profound. It wasn't a great teaching. I didn't stand up on the on the uh, seat and get my microphone out and begin to preach. You know, it's just a matter of imparting a truth that God has recently been imparting to me. And that's the sort of thing that all of us can do. And and that's how we nudge people on toward God, through our life and through those simple proclamations of the gospel as as he begins to teach things to us and as we pray for them that the truth will become part of their lives their lives begin to change. One other word I want to leave with you, and that's persistence. Paul says, stay with it. Pay close attention, he says, to these things. Really has the idea of of faithfulness. Uh, The NIV says, be diligent in these matters. Give yourselves wholly to them. Persevere in them. There's a proverb, Proverbs uh, 20. I've forgotten the exact verse right now. Goes like this: Everyone will proclaim their own faithfulness, or proclaim their own goodness. But a faithful person, who can find? Yeah, that's the third element. Disciple yourself, nourish yourself on the Word. Let the Word begin to take root in your life and express itself. Then begin to impart that truth through life and word to others, and then hang in there. Just be faithful. Persevere. Don't worry about influence. Don't worry about results. Self-conscious influence is always uh, intrusive and bothersome to people. But uh, if you're living like this, you're going to have impact on others. I've always been a great admirer of of men and women who uh, fly fish for steelhead. I mean, that's a breed apart. These people stand out there in the middle of Salmon River in sub-zero weather, you know, dodging ice flows and trying to cast a fly line into gale force winds. And 
And they, you know, they, they cast a thousand times before they ever catch a fish. That is faithfulness. That is persistence. It's hanging in there. Hanging in there. Hanging in there. Where's the faithful person among us? That's the one that gets the job done. Now let's pray. Lord, uh, <clears throat> we would like to see our progress become evident to all, as Paul puts it. Uh, we want to grow in grace, and we want to grow in our ability to impart this grace to others. We trust you to do that for us, and we thank you for it. Amen.